five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Today's episode features a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from London, England is professional actor and teacher, Ruben Nathan. Ruben joins me to share his story of being born with chronic kidney disease, his gratitude to his two immediate family members for making the ultimate sacrifice of donating a kidney, the challenges he faces as a person living with CKD, his creative pursuits, love and relationships, and more. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. How are you doing today, Ruben? I'm doing amazing. Thank you, Dee. How are you doing this um, uh, wonderful day? I am good. I am really, really good and excited for our interview today because, as I always say, and I, I really do mean it, you know, just because you say something a lot doesn't mean you don't mean it, but I <laughs> absolutely love recording Kidney Warrior stories. I think, and I've said it many times before, but it is so true that you can learn so much from someone's lived experience. So I'm excited to hear your story. Yeah, I'm excited to share. Like, I think, like I've kind of mentioned to you before, I think it's always nice to revisit kind of your experiences just to remind you of kind of how far you've come from, you know, where you were, whatever it may be. So it's always nice to revisit and just like, you know, thankfully my health is, you know, in a good, stable, positive direction. You know, everything's going fairly good. So it's nice to know that, you know, it's not always been that way. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm sure I'll realize I take for granted after, you know, blabbering onto you about it so yeah like, I think it, it's always nice to share and yeah especially share with someone who has similar experiences so I think it'll be helpful for the both of us I hope it'll be helpful for me I'll tell you that much oh and, and helpful <laughs> so, yeah. for me absolutely so I'm going to kick off with my first question and my first question is how did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed so in terms of my kidney journey, I was born with renal failure. I was, born, I was born at St. George's Hospital and I was diagnosed with, I think, what was small and soft kidneys at the time. So both kidneys came together to work, I want to say between 8 and 12%. But yeah, it was kind of, you know, they were like manageable, okay, but I think there was, you know, medication and things to think about. It was enough for me to be kind of seen at Guy's Hospital up at London Bridge. So I was very, you know, I always sing their praises. I think, you know, I've been very lucky to be kind of, you know, seen by the doctors, all the staff, doctors, nurses, everyone involved in my kind of hospital journey, so to speak. But yeah, that's kind of where it all began, I guess. And kind of still to this very day, it's not something you shake off, sadly, kidney failure, but you know, we're here. So literally, you've never known life without kidney disease then you know yeah. having been born with the disease and as a young child how did that affect your childhood it's a weird one right 
I think people are probably taking bets. My friends listening to this thinking, how long into the podcast can I go without mentioning my wife? So I'm going to go straight in with it. And the reason why I mention her is because she had a wonderful chat with you recently. Yes. And she, she's obviously, she was struck, I don't know if it's the right word to use, but she was struck with kind of kidney failure kind of later on in her life. Whereas with me, kind of like you've mentioned, how did it affect me? And being born with kidney failure, I think obviously there are moments where you just kind of just feel really fed up and you just think, I can't remember a single day where I haven't had to take a tablet or I haven't felt a little bit down or I haven't, whether it be physically or emotionally, like mentally. But to be honest with you, because I have nothing to compare it to, I feel like in some ways my life is a bit, I don't know if easy is the right word. And I'm sure, and I, I do want to preface this to everyone listening, like I think those with or without, like we all have our own experiences and, you know, like I'm only going to be speaking about my own experiences. So I can't say that there might be someone else who were born with renal failure, obviously, that, you know, have found it quite tough. But me personally, I think I've just been okay with it because I've got nothing to compare it to. I've also got very supportive family, like who've, you know, taken me up to hospital appointments. Back then it was every four to six months. So, you know, it would be, yeah, there was a conveniently placed McDonald's back then as well near the hospital. So it was almost like you're going in for your blood tests and your blood pressure and all of that stuff. And then I'd have my little treat at the end, you know, whether it be a sticker for having my skin poked or whether it be a cheeseburger at the end of it and a happy meal. So, you know, it was, as I'm sure you can gauge from the way I'm talking about it, I've not really had anything else to compare it to. So it's kind of like just normal, whatever normal is, there is no such thing, right? So yeah, I think just kind of, it was different in the sense that obviously you feel different because, you know, I wouldn't be able to run for as long as other kids in primary school, for instance, I would, you know, like I would have to go maybe certain times I would have to go out and take a quick like tablet or drink or during class, I would have to stay hydrated or whatever. So there'd be certain things that would make me stick out a little bit with other primary school kids. But I think it was just treated so well with my teachers that I didn't really feel othered, which is more a testament to everyone who's been part of me growing up, I guess, right? Everyone involved in that process. So yeah, like, yeah. See, it's funny. I haven't even thought about that until you just asked, like, because it's just, it's me. So, you know, so yeah. So it's wonderful to hear that you never felt othered growing up and that it was managed so well and effectively by your teachers and your family and that you had lots of support. So as you grew older in teenage years, going towards adulthood, how was living with kidney disease then? I feel like I'm going to go back a little bit, actually. And I think because I think this is important to mention, like I had like a, a tube up my nose, like when I was younger. So I think there were certain things that I did. Other, I mean, it's so strange. I don't, I don't want to get too philosophical, but it's more what, for me, I think I've always tried to be as mentally strong as I can, right? So all of these other things I think about now. So it wasn't that I was othered, but children can be cruel. They don't know, oh, why does Ruben have a tube up his nose? Or why does Ruben get to drink water in our lessons when, you know? So it wasn't like, obviously back then, I would just be like, I'm me. And I, you know, I've always, I feel like I've always really not had enemies growing up. So it's been okay. I've got on with people. And if they ask, I tell. So I think what I guess I was implying is I wasn't othered because of any staff. It was all in my head if there was anything. Anyway, that being said, so in terms of my journey, so, you know, we would go up every four to six months to, you know, for hospital checkups and things. And then my condition deteriorated around, you know, 1998, 1999. So I was about eight, nine years old in year five. 
around kind of that period in primary school. And I remember telling my teacher, or at least my parents telling my teacher that, you know, we're thinking of having a kidney transplant in that kind of last year of, um, in year six, basically. So I would miss quite a significant of that final academic year. So I had my kidney transplant, which was actually March the 7th. And that was from my dad. So it was a live donor. So that was like, even now, obviously, like, you know, it's an incredible sacrifice to make. And you can never repay someone for that kind of level of, you know, like, like a gift is not even the right word to use there, right? Yeah. So in 2001, I had my kidney transplant and I had a heavy period of rejection. So I was just basically in and out of hospital or living in hospital or living in what was at the time called the Ronald McDonald House, which was near hospital accommodation, but not quite at the hospital, if that makes sense, which was again, amazing. Like once again, like I'm very lucky to have that kind of rather than having to go on the train and when you're feeling horrible, traveling anywhere is horrible, but you know, going up and it was just walking distance or they'd obviously arrange an ambulance or something to come and pick you up. And then I'd be, you know, admitted to hospital again. So there was a heavy period of rejection at the beginning where dad's kidney just didn't fit in the way it should have to my body. So obviously lots of medication. I remember lots of, you know, I can remember that a bit better, obviously, even though I was young. But I just remember, this is the thing, obviously, I remember being sick and falling unwell. And that's before you even mentioned all the side effects that the tablets gave me at the time. But the only thing I really remember is just missing year six, like that big year six school trip. That's the funniest thing, like, because looking back at it, I really was like, really not in good shape back then. But yeah, that's the thing that I remember, that I seem to remember. But then getting on to my teenage years, so I got into um, the, you know, my secondary school and then thankfully everything was pretty, um, you know, it was, I think maybe my teenage years kind of kicked in and I felt like, you know, you're trying to fit in, but you look different. Like I was on quite a high dose of Pred, So I put on a lot of weight and all sorts of different things, which growing up, it was quite the opposite. Like my parents would really struggle to get me to eat anything and I would be so active. So I've gone from someone who is, I don't know if I'm phrasing this correctly, but I don't want to offend anyone. But someone who would say in terms of, you know, someone who's a lot more slim and more, I don't know if acceptable in society, especially back then, whereas like you go to school and you're just that big kid and I've never been the big kid. I've never, you know, it was just all a bit like getting bullied for being overweight. But the reason you're overweight is because you're on medication and it's all a little bit of a weird area to navigate. Again, the staff were kind of helpful where they can. I don't think they were as supportive as they could be with certain circumstances. And I think then I realized I had to kind of fend for myself and, you know, talk back when I needed to, or it could be worse, but I won't advocate anything like that. So, yeah, I think it was interesting because I think, I, I think you make your mark. I think a lot of like, I'm a teacher now, um, along with a few other things that I do. And like, it's a difficult thing to navigate because there are effects that tablets that you take that I'm sure, you know, you know, that regardless of the physical changes, there's a lot of like psychological changes, at least for me at the time, I was like in a very bad kind of place, like, you know, just overthinking everything, trying to bring myself down a little bit. Like, even though looking back at it now, I was like, you know, what are you worried about? What are you, you know, but I think it helped me to become really positive anyway. Like I kind of had really good friends growing up, still in touch with some of them. Like, you know, there was, yeah, there's all, it's all, for me, I think I'll be repeating this. This will be like the mantra for this episode, but it's all support network here for me. Like I've been very lucky to have that. And I know that's something I definitely don't take for granted. 
but yeah like i think that's how the whole teenage like navigating kidney failure through that stage but thankfully it got to a period after the rejection my condition stabilized and the things that i was struggling with were more how i looked and how i felt and how i felt like why can't i run as long as like because the school i went to was very um big on sports so i took part in like football rugby hockey i've always played football for a long time but like football rugby hockey it was very you know they're very on top of sports but the things it, they weren't you know i was i was all right you know i played you know, i represented the school in certain matches and things like that but you're always thinking in the back of your head oh my god if i didn't have this i could actually be you know but i guess it's all in your head at that point so yeah so a lot there to navigate that feeling and I, I really can relate to the whole pred thing anybody that's taken prednisolone that's what we're talking about when we say pred pred short for prednisolone, prednisolone yeah the moon face and the puffiness and the the swollen the weight gain is really difficult i mean as an adult moreover as a teenager growing up where you know your appearance i mean there's never a time when you know that you don't care about how you look but especially as a teenager yeah it's, it's that bit more sensitive you start you start sorry to cut you off d but it's like when you start you know you've got your school discos and then oh you fancy this person here and this that and the other and it's like you know your confidence is like it might be sky high but then you don't feel like you look you know like you know because i think growing up it was a lot of msn kind of you know chatting online and stuff like that so you know MSN. Yeah, it's a bit of a throwback, I think. I think everything is MSN now, though. Like, oh my gosh, social, we live in that world now. It's quite strange. There's no kind of go back home and message. It's now message all the time. But yeah, like, I think it was, it's so true. Like, you, you care more about your appearance. And I think it's such a shame that that's kind of the world that we live in where someone would rather appear unhealthily slimmer than unhealthily larger. And, you know, I can't speak for, you know, like, yeah, but it, yeah, sorry, I cut you off, you were saying. <laughs> so in terms of the tube, when you had the transplant, was the tube from your nose removed? Yeah, yeah. oh, sorry. So I had the transplant, I'm sorry, I had the tube when I was, I think it would be around kind of age four, age five, age six, and then it, would, it had been removed. And I think it was just because I couldn't eat, like I was playing it down to be a fussy eater, but I wouldn't be able to eat like, you know, like orally, so to speak. So I think it was a mixture of that, to be honest. I think it might have even been younger when I started. Sorry, my dates are a bit mushy with all of that stuff. But yeah, I think it was, um, you know, when I went to primary school, I didn't really wear the tube, like, you know, it was removed or if I needed to wear it, I'd come back home and then it would be inserted again kind of thing. But I was able to, you know, look normal. And I did bunny ears there, by the way, because this is a uh, audio podcast. But yeah, I was able to, in adverted commas, look normal and fit in. So yeah, but this is the thing, like, thankfully, so this is the funny thing, leading up to my transplant, I didn't really feel like any pain or, you know, I didn't feel, I just felt tired because I've always been tired, but I've always have had quite like an overactive imagination or personality or whatever, you know, I've always been quite kind of bouncing off the walls, so to speak. So I didn't really notice a big difference. And like I said, like when I had these kind of clinic appointments, it was more, I'm excited to go. It's like, almost like you get the morning of school, you get to spend time with mum and dad, you get my Mackie D's at the end. Like it was all kind of, you know, painted in this way where, you know, like every effort was made for me to not feel like this is a bad thing, which I think maybe I'll come to speak about later in terms of 
really taking ownership of your own health and your own health condition and your own kidney journey in my case. But yeah, like I think the tube had been removed and I felt basically normal and then well, normal. And then, yeah, it was more the doctors kind of sat me down and they were like, so this is the procedure. These are the tests that are leading up to having a kidney transplant. And so that's when it was kind of like, oh, okay, I'm going to have a transplant. Cool. How many uh, days of school do I miss? Like it was, you know, it was that. <laughs> and then I find out it's like, oh, what is year six? They're doing the big trip and I'm not allowed to go Isle of Wight. What? So, you know, that was my reaction in all honesty, right? Because I've always had this. It wasn't like, it didn't kind of, like with Ezra, it was like in the middle of her life, she's busy doing something and then bam, Ezra's being my wife that I mentioned earlier on. So it was, yeah, it kind of didn't really come as a shock in any way. It was more like, you know, and I think that's also testament to like the staff at London Bridge, like at Guy's Hospital, where they prepared me. You can never really prepare someone for major surgery but i didn't feel like you know and i think i was more worried about dad as well because dad's like a normal person who you know had his life but i think at the time it was just accepted i didn't really feel like i didn't really you know it's a big sacrifice but you don't really think about it until you got much older and you start you know yeah so how was life because as you said because you were born with kidney disease you don't know anything different but how was life post-transplant compared to life before oh d if i could put that in a bottle and sell it then i would be a millionaire that feeling of to go from it could be the simplest things just walking up a flight of stairs i guess now no wait let me track back a bit so i've had two transplants in 2019 i had my second transplant after quite a period of you know some other things going on which i'll get into i'm sure but what I was, I guess, trying to say in a very inarticulate way is it's an amazing feeling. Like you just feel like a different person. And to, I know I keep going on about this whole normal and not normal thing, but to be that person who has felt tired and you've always got in the back of your head, is it kidney stuff or is it just me being lazy or is it just me being, you know, is it a cold or is it going to be another week in hospital? Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of feeling, right? But that kind of energy that you get it is like having a new life like it really is like a new life like i can't really describe it differently and i think i felt that a lot more after my second transplant in 2019 so you got benefit from the first transplant but even more so from the second one did i get more benefit yeah i think I think it comes down to my stage in life and my age at the time, you know, like it's like there's the excitement of going to a secondary school. So regardless of this whole kind of how people made me feel or, you know, the fact that I was able to play sports is a big thing compared to just, you know, before not being able to like PE, you know, like running around. And let's not get it twisted. Like I hated the bleep test. I hated cross country. But the things that I did love, I was good at, thankfully. And so, you know, that's, again, it comes down to, is it laziness? Is it a psychological thing? Am I just putting a wall up there? Because I can run for football, but I can't run if it's just running around a field. It's just so mundane for me. So, yeah, but it gave me the ability to do those things. You know, I wouldn't really, I wasn't really much of an athlete. I, I mean, I'm not really much of an athlete, but in primary school, I don't really remember enjoying PE. It was more fun. Oh, you get to play rounders or whatever. Like, but I think I just felt a more, you know, zest for life, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. To answer your question, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Did I answer your question? 
<laughs> but you know, I think the second transplant is where it was, I think, really life changing. But then this is the thing: had I not had that first transplant, I wouldn't have been able to go to school and you know achieve the qualifications. You know, go all the way through to university life and um, ended up pursuing a career in acting and this, that, and the other. Like I wouldn't been able, I wouldn't have been able to do any of those things, or maybe I would have, but my circumstances would have been, I think. Personally, I think they would have been entirely different. So, backtracking slightly, so do they know what caused the first transplant to fail? Yeah, I think, to be honest with you, so 2001, I'm just running through the timeline in my head again, sorry. So, 2001, I had the transplant and then I got, you know, got through uni, graduated, and then I went to China for a year and I had like little issues here and there, basically. Yeah, but what I would say is like I think basically my condition was you know like and by condition obviously we all look at our GFR levels and our creatinine and things like that. So it was steady, but then you'd have your blips. They would rocket high, and then I'd have a biopsy, and then cool, everything's fine, and then come back, and so on. So there was a period of this for like you know three to four years where even though I was well, I wasn't numerically well, if you were to call it that. Like I didn't feel any major difference. But then I think what kind of was the catalyst for me getting unwell is I went to China, which was amazing, incredible experience. After I graduated, I went to China. I taught English as a second language there. It was meant to be for a year, and I think I lasted about three months, unfortunately. And that was like the big kind of you know wow. And to be honest with you, and I'm obviously ashamed almost to admit it now. Well, not really because you, we learn from our experiences and mistakes. But I was just not in a good way. I was really homesick. I was you know. Picking up really bad habits, not taking tablets often enough, not drinking plenty of water, and it's you know we like to make excuses for ourselves. And I will always maintain I was really homesick, and it was a big thing. And I got myself in a very dark place, like you know I was really not in a good way. Despite having, I'm just checking myself as I'm talking. Like, I'm in China. I'm having an amazing experience and opportunity, but it just all went a bit wayward for me. I was not in the right way. So. After about three months, thankfully, I did get to see a lot of it and a lot of China. Traveled, we traveled from north to south, and we did lots of things. Amazing, but then I got really unwell, came back, and I went straight into AKCC. So that's an advanced kidney care clinic, which I was admitted to there. And from there, they basically said, "This is your situation. We can kind of stabilize it for a bit, but you're going to be on dialysis." And that was like, whoa! I think dialysis for me. Was at the time, especially, it's kind of fear of the unknown, and I'm not sure if kind of you can relate to it or not in that sense because you haven't been on dialysis, right? So I don't want to scare you at the same time, <laughs> and I do want to. I do want to reiterate: this is my journey and my story because it's not the same for everyone. In fact, there's a few people who seem to have the time of their life on dialysis, which is you know it's to each their own, but. Obviously, that's amazing, but I think for me, it was not knowing what it was going to be, and just that whole "oh my gosh!" All this time, I know I've gone hospital appointment, I've been able to still manage my life, but the whole process of you're going to be attached to a machine—that's the bit that kind of really got me. I think psychologically, but they, yeah, they spoke through my options, and they said, you know, within a year or two years' time, if things carry on. And they don't just get better on their own. Then you're going to have to start being, you know, you're going to have to start dialyzing basically. 
And then obviously they said, you know, I'd encourage you to find like a donor as well, have conversations with your friends and family. And I was just like, well, I've already taken one from dad. I can't really ask. I don't want to ask mum. Mum's got kind of a few health things anyway. And it's not something you can really ask friends. Like you can't lend them a fiver and be like, yeah, by the way, you know, uh, that kidney of yours, do you mind left or right? Do you, you know, like, it's not really something that you can really like, you know, it's, it's quite funny because the way the nurses at the time, bless them, because obviously they, they're saying it, you know, well, it is, you know, yeah. Anyways, it was presented to me like, you know, yeah, just, just ask your friends. And I'm like, I don't know about your friends, but my <laughs> friends, I love them to bits. But also, I think even if they did, like, I did have a couple of friends who came forward and they said, listen, mate, da 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 And I, I just couldn't. And my parents were quite against it as well. I had a, two friends who like, openly said, listen, like, if it's something that you want to do, like, if, if this is a conversation you genuinely want to, you know, basically, let's have this conversation. And I was just like, I, I just can't, you know, it's something that it's one thing feeling like, you know, a burden on your family. It's another thing with someone, maybe it's different, I don't know, like, but for me, it was like, I can't, I just can't, you know, I can't take that from you, like, because that's how it feels. It's not transactional. It's not, you know, yeah. So it was very, like, I, yeah, I can't, basically, yeah. And as you can see, I'm a bit lost for words, because you've taken me back to that time. So yeah, but so I was on dialysis. So then, yeah, so in 2015, I had kind of this conversation, I want to say. And then I think around 2016, November of 2016, that's when I started dialysis in November. See, there's some things you do remember dates wise, because I think it had such a, you know, impact on me. They went through the, again, like, I know I keep saying it and I will till the cows come home, but the treatment at Guy's Hospital has been second to none. I know it's the only treatment I have received, but I have my comparison points with my wife and with other friends. The treatment has been amazing. They sat me down. They said, these are your options. So they've obviously gone through, this is, you know, you've got your different types of dialysis, but you can ask for a live donor as well. And I just thought in my head, I just thought, okay, cool. I'm just going to be on the waiting list. Isn't that how it works? Like you just keep going to hospital, you get chucked on the waiting list. And then I kind of realized how small a person I am in the, in the world, basically. And I think especially more back then. I guess it still is. I'm not sure. And I don't want to kind of overspeak to stuff that I don't, I do need to educate myself on this. But what I do know for certain is there's a real absence of black and ethnic minority donors. And for someone from a kind of, you know, Sri Lankan, Tamil heritage, for me to be on the waiting list, like friends who were doctors or just general kind of friends who knew a lot more than me were just saying like, don't think you're going to be on the waiting list. And then suddenly, bam, they give you a shower. It's not like an Amazon delivery where you get your alert and you get your 12 hour window. And then there you go. New kidney. Oh, let me do an unboxing for this. Like it's, you know, it was one of those situations. <laughs> <laughs> you never know though. It would be quite cool. I think, <laughs> but yeah. So, so that was that whole procedure. But again, like I said, everything was explained to me. And most importantly, again, I think the best thing that a student can be as a teacher, I like it when students, when they ask questions, and that's the reason why I mentioned that is because that's exactly what happened at Guy's in that they would say to me, not just they would say to me, do you have any questions? But that was just the whole rapport. Is, it's always been like that for me. You know, I've been blessed with a great trust to work with. But yeah, so then I decided, I think I wanted to go on hemodialysis because the option of PD that was presented to me was essentially turning a room in the house into a hospital 
bed and ward and so on. And that's something that I could not run away from the idea fast enough. And I'm not a fast person anyway. So I was a bit like, this is nah, mate, this is not happening. Because I think part of this whole having a kidney problem and living with that since birth, it's always been, I go to the hospital, I get seen. If I have to be admitted, I get admitted into hospital and da 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 da. But when I leave hospital, I'm Reuben again. I'm me. I don't want to identify as, oh, that's Reuben with the kidney problems. I'm Reuben who I do a long list of things. So it helped you compartmentalize. Wonderful use of the word compartmentalize. Could not think of anything better. That's exactly it. It's exactly that. I might be like, yeah, so it helped me compartmentalize that whole thing. Yeah. And I think that really helped as well because. Like I said, I didn't like this idea of turning a room into the, like, you know, and it's my room. I've got my childhood memories there, playing music at certain times and, you know, like, you know, messaging friends under the table or whatever. And then suddenly this room is turning into a hospital bed for me. No. And also space as well. Like, you know, like I'm very lucky and my parents have taken care of me and we're in a good place financially and all of that stuff. But there's nothing that can cramp a room like a dialysis machine, I'm sure. So, you know, yeah. And I think just this idea of like, okay, if this is going to be dialysis, which I don't know anything about, I've never done it. So physically, I don't know how it's going to affect me. Let me try and have choice. Like, let me try and have control over some of the things that I can kind of, I don't know if appreciate, but put up with, you know, so that was, you know, going into hospital three times a week and being on the machine. So my journey there, I went for, yeah, I went for HD. And they did obviously run through ideas of having a fistula and they spoke about the benefits of a fistula. So for me, I'm an actor and a teacher. So for me, I kind of, I, I care more about my appearance than maybe I should. I don't know. But I thought that from my friends who had dialysis growing up, their fistulas, there was always issues. Again, that's just their experience growing up. I could like, it was very lumpy and very obvious. And there was a very kind of Sadly, you know, I think my mind state is very different now, but at the time, you know, I've kind of graduated, I'm trying to get acting gigs, I'm working in fashion, I'm doing this, that, and the other, I'm teaching as well. So it just didn't make sense to me to have something quite overtly unwell. Right. And that's kind of the, you know, that's why I, for me personally, I wanted to go for HD, which is, I, I think this is another thing. Like, I think the problem with kidney health sometimes is it's so insidious. So you wouldn't know, like we could be passing anyone at any given moment, and you don't know what they're going through anyway. But as soon as there was this idea of a fistula, it was like, okay, can't wear t-shirts, can't go to swimming. Not that I'm like Michael Phelps, but I mean, the fact that I'm not allowed to do something makes me want to do it even more, right? So it was one of those things. But yeah, I think, so then I spoke to them and I said, look, I really, I'm happy to go with everything. I'd go for HD. I'm happy to have this treatment in the sense that, you know, obviously it's going to make me feel better. That's the primary goal, right? You just want to feel better. But I just really am averse to having a fistula. So then they obviously highlighted like, this is what a fistula can do. And yes, I understand your reservations because you've seen this. And yes, there are these issues and that and this, that and the other. And I just said, look, let me just start with a line. Because they said to me that having a pick line, it's just more prone to infections. So you just have to be extra careful when you're showering and when you're, you know, just day to day, like you just have to be extra careful. So I was very careful. And thankfully I had, I think I had three, no, I had two pick lines over the course of my kind of three and a bit years of dialysis that I was on. And yeah. And like, 
thankfully it worked for me and i i do feel like I, my dialysis sessions were okay i mean by the end of it they were okay at the beginning there was lots of teething problems i really struggled it was you know with dialysis for anyone who doesn't know you well my experience of dialysis is i would go in mondays wednesdays and fridays and i'd be on the machine for 4 hours and it's meant to be a better kind of well it was just kind of trusting your nurses i guess so for me I think with PD you have to really take ownership of your own health. You've got to, you know, unless you have someone at home to obviously help you out with these things. And I just know what I'm like. Bear in mind I just said before like I skip tablets. Terrible thing to do. I'm very ashamed of myself. Never I think I'll never do it again now obviously. I'm much older, a little bit wiser, definitely not taller. So I think it's one of those things where like I've just thought I'd rather put my trust in amazing NHS treatment all of that stuff that I've received from guys hospital and thankfully it was okay obviously you have bad days like with anything like you know I would there were certain periods where I don't know what happened I would have rigors I would have shakes I would be fitting kind of on the machine and stuff and it's a horrible feeling Whoa. um yeah it was really like and obviously once you go through something like that in your head you're thinking this is it and I really don't want it. again this is my experience dear so you know i don't want you to feel like oh my gosh it's the be all and end all and dialysis is horrible because i built it up but it's really not that bad if you manage some of your you know time well and you do your things like you know it's like i'm sure you've been through worse you know like it's one of those things that's what i was telling myself at least right and this is the crazy thing like i don't know what it was with dialysis but i think having that structure in my life really helped in some ways i worked somehow i look at myself now i get tired after a monday night don't know how i got through it but i was like i got a few acting gigs which are you know like quite good i was lucky enough to go up to like fashion week in copenhagen and london and all of this other stuff like i did a few things and it was just like wow like it is possible for me to still pursue the things that i love doing alongside the teaching and i think that comes that's an individual thing though right like i can't say that okay that's it anyone want to want to get into fashion What you want to do is you want to get kidney failure first and it will work itself out. It's more the case that I think it was just a sudden like lust for life or something. I don't know how to describe it. I was just like, "Okay, Monday I'm going to be knockout." So, Tuesday needs to be the next like thing that I need to work towards and just really pushing myself. And again, I know I've said this a thousand times, but it's support network. I can come home and it was very difficult for my parents to see this person who's usually bouncing off the walls to just be so docile. having to say no to plans with friends and just feeling you know tired and just focusing on things that would get the bills paid essentially but yeah like i think you know that was essentially that but there was one thing that happened on dialysis which is probably the most remarkable thing which is the most rarest thing is that i found the love of my life you know so again i'm not saying one size fits all every story is different but yeah i was on dialysis and again through kidney care the uh kind partnership us of this podcast of course and um, we've got okay yes kidney care uk sorry if i'm going to shout them out i might as well shout them out properly yeah so ezra and i are very fond of the charity and of course the work that you do d but yeah like they organize trips for young adults and that's a trip that we met and i was on dialysis and then suddenly i'm just like wow this is incredible so you know I feel like there was a question at some point in this chat and I've just got on to like get really giddy and excited. 
<laughs> well, while you're feeling giddy and excited, just yeah. So just going back over that, but then moving forward again. So you had a period of dialysis, and it's interesting when you say that you know certain things in terms of your appearance and and not wanting to have the and there are other options now. And just a side note for everyone listening. There is the fistula option where there is that visible bulge, but, you know, check out the endo-AVF episode where you have a fistula, but you can't actually see anything. So there is that option that is available now. It's interesting, the different things that influence people's decisions where they are in their mind. For some people, they prefer going in center. And like we talked about, being able to compartmentalize your life. This part is where I deal with my kidney disease. When I come home, I'm not thinking about it again. And then there's some people who want to be at home, want to have that routine at home, don't want to have to travel into hospital. So it is very interesting how people feel very differently about the same situation. Some people want the staff to take more charge of the care. Some people want to take more charge of the care themselves. And I think that as individuals, we have to be honest with ourselves what is going to work best for us as an individual and to be okay with it. It's okay yeah. that you prefer to go in center and for the staff to take more charge. It's okay for someone else who wants to take more charge themselves. And I think it's really important that we normalize that, that care for each individual is yeah. person centered and is going to take a different form. And Wow, to hear that you actually went through, you know, having seizures whilst on the machine, like that's massively challenging. And so very good that you were in center because if you were at home. Well, this is a thing, yeah. You know, what would have been the consequence of that? So it just goes to show that, you know, whatever the reason in your mind actually could have potentially saved your life. Well, yeah, but I think I think I would have been again, it's like exactly what you said, it's person-centered, right? So I know that if I was the kind of person who was going to fully educate myself on every single aspect of my health, which I feel like I've done to an extent, even though I've missed out a lot of details, I feel like, I mean, I feel like we could have like a four-hour conversation, D. So, you know, I'm trying to be as succinct as I can, but like, and that's a testament to you, not me just rambling on. But (laughs) yeah, I think, if you are someone who, you know, wants to know everything about your health and really take ownership, then that would have been a great opportunity. But I think for me, in the place and the stage that I was in my life, I was just a bit fed up and I knew what I'd be like. I'd be like, yeah, you know what? Okay, let me go for a drink and then I'll come back and then that's fine. It's not the like whatever, but I've got to come back, put myself on the machine and all of this other stuff. And you've got to be honest with yourself. At the end of the day, you've got to be honest with yourself. And to be honest with you, like it's what worked for me. And like, you know, it's horrible to think about with the seizures and rigors and all the things that happened. There were obviously lots of good sessions as well, you know, but it was, I think the worst thing is being in an environment with like, where you feel like you're just, there's just an absolute break in your life. Like in the sense that a lot of the people that I would be sharing that hospital room or the wing or the unit with tend to be above a certain age. So I was the only person who kind of looked like me, was in the same age range as me and all of this stuff. And all of this stuff plays, you know, you, you, I'm, you know, I was in my kind of mid twenties. 
my friends or family or whatever, like, you know, they're dating, they're lots of exciting things They're you know, they're moving out, they're renting their first place or getting married or having kids or the list goes on. And in my head, I just feel like from, I'm just stuck in one place. And I think testament to the way I've been raised, I think I just kept going. And I, this is how I managed to do some of the things that I did during dialysis in terms of in a professional like setting. So yeah, I, I do keep saying it, but I'm proud of myself that I've done all of those things, you know. And so you should be because it does, I don't want to sound cliche when I say this, but it does take warrior strength to be able to navigate kidney disease, whatever stage you are at. And especially when you're on dialysis and having so much to deal with physically and emotionally and psychologically, to be able to work and do all the things that you were doing takes warrior strength. Absolutely. Mm. So you mentioned that whilst you're on dialysis, you met the love of your life, who we've spoken to on the podcast, Ezra. So do check out Ezra's episode, which is episode 81. So we know a bit about how you met. Your story was also featured in Kidney Care UK's Kidney Matters magazine as well. Yeah, I can add, um, what's it, poster boy to one of my list of many things now. (laughs) The it couple, I don't know what you call it. I'm joking, obviously, by the way, for anyone listening to thinking, oh, what an arrogant sod. (laughs) No, no, it was really lovely. And I just want to echo the same sentiments in terms of like what I said before, even like, obviously, without the kindness and the work that they do, just with lots of things. I mean, the Young Adult Kidney Weekend is just one project, if you want to call it project, that they're involved in. They do lots of things. It's definitely a, a very important, it will always be an important part of our lives. And it only felt right that we um, did something to show some gratitude. So how was it for you? I mean, in terms of being on dialysis and all the challenges that you were facing, were you looking for love at that point in time? Or was it completely a surprise for you? No, I wasn't looking for love. I think I was looking for sanity, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to get on with my life. Sorry, I was a loud laugh there. Hope your ears are okay, T. Yeah, I just wanted some sort of normalcy, to be honest with you. I think I didn't really even like, you know, like you talk to girls, I was like dating a little bit, but it wasn't really like a, I just wasn't happy with myself. And it's, it's never, never a good idea to be in a bad place and then try and get involved in a relationship. At least for me, I've never been that person who can, you know, like, because it's just not going to start well, not going to end well. So I think I learned a lot to be on my own. I learned, you know, as difficult as it was, I just kind of chose to be a little bit alone. And yeah, I don't know. I think it was different. I was, you know, when we started talking, we just met and we just really hit it off, I guess. Yeah. So marrying somebody who also has kidney disease, you know, marrying a kidney warrior, how has that been in terms of both of you navigating your journeys, not only as kidney warriors, but coming together and navigating your journey together? To be honest with you, I mean, it's amazing. Like no one's ever, no one that I've been close with, intimate with, whatever, I've been able to share that kind of thing. It's like an unsaid thing that we just both know. Like we just, we're just in sync, I guess, in the sense that we're not both unwell at the same time or we haven't been, thankfully, just yet. But there's a lot of things that just don't need to be said, D. Like it's one of those things where you just understand and that should be at the core of any relationship, really, whether it be romantic or otherwise. It should be understanding. But I think the most wonderful thing is if I've 
got an appointment coming up, she'll know to ask or not to ask just because you just sense it, you know? We've been quite independent about our health for a while now. So both of us don't need to be like, oh, how did it go? How did it go? How did it go? How did it go? But then naturally we find ourselves asking anyway, but it's not like a, it's not disingenuous. I think that's the best way to put it. It just comes from a real place of love, care, and understanding. And I think that's something that I've never, never had and never thought I could have, to be honest with you. As someone who's always had kidney problems, you're getting me proper choked up. What is going on? Whew. Yeah. But it's amazing. I'm very lucky. And so is she. She's listening <laughs> to us recording. So having that soulmate, that companion, that person that really gets it. Because, you know, when I speak with other kidney warriors, there is that understanding that we have. Even if we're not going through the exact same thing, we understand how it goes because it is tough. But having somebody 24-7 who gets what you're going through and just seeing that look of love on your face, is, it's really sweet. Our listeners, I oh, know no, you can't listen to her. Don't listen to what she's saying. Really sweet look of love on his face. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really sweet to see. So actually, while we're on the topic of relationships, what advice do you have for somebody who is... and you know, a lot of the people that I speak with on this podcast went on to have, but not as many people I've spoken with were actually born with CKD. So I'm going to ask you to speak to the person like yourself who was born mm. with CKD. And what advice do you have for somebody who was born with CKD and is looking for love? Oh, wow. That is, I don't even know how to unpack the question, let alone answer it or give advice. I think be honest and outline your intentions sooner rather than later. Everyone wants to have that conversation at one stage. I was involved in situations before where I kind of, not that I was ashamed of having kidney problems, but I never brought it up. And then suddenly, oh, why have you, you messaged me in X amount of days? And it's like, well, I've actually been in hospital. Sorry, I didn't tell you. And then you suddenly have to start telling them about your whole health and stuff. So be honest with someone and someone who really cares about you will just be like, that's amazing. Thank you for letting me know. And they'll actually respect and kind of almost, you know, like, yeah, they'll value that you've come to them about that. You know, if that advice doesn't work, please don't come back to me because I could only speak for, you know, that's what I guess, you know, I, it's difficult because yeah, sorry, I've rambled on now, <laughs> but it's, it's a difficult, I think I've got love in so many aspects of my life. We've spoken for a while, like I said, the reason why I could have carried on, I feel terrible, but it was actually, so when I had my transplant in 2019, it was actually my older brother who gave him my kidney. So how lucky am I, how loved am I to have my father give my first kidney and my brother, you know, give my second, like I'm so lucky and I'm so appreciative of that. And in terms of looking for love, I know you were kind of implying in terms of romantic relationships, but make sure you repay what you have in the first place. If you're not happy with yourself as well, how are you going to make someone else, you know, happy if you want, you know, like it's, yeah. That is golden. That is so important. If you don't have that happiness within, that person can't do it for you. Happiness really does start within doing that yeah. inner work, doing that work is so, so important before you enter into a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. It sounded, I don't know, like, because when you are, it's such a big question, right? Like, and I'm like, I know I'm 
the lucky one in that sense because they're not everyone has that and i know there were times when you know i know we're ending on a positive like you know but like coming back to just there are times when it's really not like that because you feel so different and you feel like your luck's never going to change it's not about luck though it's really not about luck never think oh i'm i'm so unlucky it's just this is your life and you just have to accept it and you have to find ways to kind of cope and you know do the things that you can to make you feel better what ways have helped you cope music music art love galleries i love listening to music talking to people that i trust and also in some ways hearing other people's stories as well not just kidney problems i mean problems problems like whatever my older brother told me and this is a quote that i think i live by whatever you go through in life there's always going to be one person that's better off than you but there's always going to be one person that's worse off than you so never magnify your problems more than what's in front you know and it's difficult because if you're told oh the creatinine's plummeted or something like that and then suddenly your heart races and you're like oh my gosh but it's just trying to stay composed and you're only in control of certain things so control the things that you can and the rest will happen i'm sure i really do co-sign that you know if you focus on what is in your power to control you will feel so much happier than being focused on the things that are outside of your control so yeah 100% yeah it's funny because when you asked me advice questions i thought maybe it'd be better for me to tell you what not to do as a <laughs> But that's a, we'll save that for a different conversation <laughs> off off uh, air. I think I don't know. Maybe you know, just a a couple of what nots to do because oh, okay. um, when you said about you know what you didn't do the first time around when you had a transplant, I think mm. that might be helpful for somebody to listen to to be like, yeah. okay, let me avoid that because that could have a really bad consequence. So yeah, a question I I don't think I've asked before. A first on Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. Another first. And it's thanks to Ruben. Um, what don'ts do you have for the listeners? Definitely take your tablets. So don't not take your tablets. Or if you miss them here and there, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical professional. If you miss them here and there and you get away with it, so to speak, right, cool. But that catches up on you. And like, that's something that obviously you know that's like a no brainer but it sounds silly because i think the reason why i stopped for a period when i was in china was because i was in a very like dark place i was you know everything was on top of me and i felt really upset and sad and i just felt fed up and all sorts of things so you know i would say that's obviously a no brainer people listening thinking yeah well obviously i know that you don't i'm not going to like take a tablets is crucial But one thing I would say is if you have questions ask there's no shame in not knowing about your health and educate if anything it's actually quite remarkable to want to educate yourself about you know like and at this day and age we've got everything we've got youtube videos we've got podcasts we've got friends who might be doctors or even doctors with instagram this that and the other i don't want to start sending people to go and get like you know diagnosed on like their mates you know but there's just so much information out there obviously find the right kind of bit of information google is not always your friend no but you know like just find the right sources and just you know ask your own stuff like ask you know drop your nurse in the email or if you prefer calling and speaking to them speak to them before it's too late before suddenly you can't leave the house because your legs are hurting or whatever and 
suddenly you're in pain and whatever it might be. So I guess to answer your question in terms of advice for not to do, but I'm going to change that to a more positive question in the sense of what you should do, take your tablets and ask and educate yourself about your health condition. Compliance is so important when it comes to medication. And it's one thing as well, taking it, but making sure you take it regularly, take it on time as well, is something that I learned the hard way. So um, just advice that I just want to tag on yeah. there. So I know that you are active online and you actually have a podcast as well. Yeah, we do. And by we, me and my very, very good friend and brother in arms, Oliver Crawley. We have a podcast. We both have lived, like we've had kidney problems since birth as well. Very good friends. So we have our own chats about it. And then we thought, you know, might as well put something together. So our podcast is called The Professional Patients because we are essentially, we joke about it. So what do you do? And it's like, you're out of work. So what you do, I'm a professional patient. And I think that just rung true with both of us, obviously. So that's kind of, yeah, jump on there to hear our stories about the way we, and I don't say it's always the good things that we talk about in terms of our own behavior or, you know, but we have lots of stories that we share there. We're currently kind of on a break at the moment. That sounds like a relationship. We're actually not seeing each other at the moment. We're seeing other people. Um, no, well, I am technically, I'm seeing you on this podcast here, aren't I? So yeah, I think we're both just busy, thankfully, in a good way. Life and opportunities have come our way. So we've not been able to record for a while, but it's at professional patients on Instagram that you can find us. Check out Ruben's podcast, Professional Patients Podcast, and follow him on Instagram at Professional Patients. So what is your final word of encouragement for the listeners? A final word of encouragement. Hmm. I think I can't speak for everyone, obviously. This is just my own experiences, but I think things have definitely been a lot better for me when I started trying to take ownership of my own health, whether that be taking tablets, whether that's hearing about, you know, the things to do. I think that comes with age as well, though, for me, because obviously I was a lot younger and immature before. But I would say just try and take ownership with your own situation, because as much as there are very reliable healthcare professionals, no one really knows you better than you. Thank you so much That's for okay. joining me and for sharing your story, for sharing advice, for sharing about your love, seeing that smile on your face. Oh. You know, absolutely wonderful to see. Thank you so much. I know that your story will help so many people. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, like it's, yeah, it's been really lovely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith knowledge, hope, and love.